Have a midwicket. Oh, close. Very close. And given. Pat Cummins strikes for Australia. Captain against captain. England seven down. Stokes will have a chat. Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas Spirit of Australia. The rain stayed away on day four, and it was another great day of cricket that began with an attempted Joe Root reverse ramp and ended with Scott Bond as the night watchman. Louis, it was a pretty good day of test cricket, wasn't it? It's a good summary. Two things you wouldn't have expected to at the start of the day. I mean, Joe Root, it's the way he's batted in this test has just been, you know, we keep saying it, but that 21-22 Ashes, the way he batted then compared to now, it's he's just liberated. Um, he's completely different. He had Australia on toast today and should have made a lot more runs, I think, but we can delve into that. But, yeah, just this test, it's, it's an incredible test. It's what already, even if we do get rained out tomorrow, which is a possibility, uh, even if it, it it's a boil over one way or the other, um, it's been one of the best tests I can remember watching. Yeah, people already talking about it as an epic, aren't they? Let's begin with the scorecard. England began the day on two for 28, and as mentioned, Root and Pope started really positively. Cummins then bowled Pope with an in-swing Yorker against the run of play, but then Brook and Root looked pretty comfortable for the most, and for the most part were untroubled. They both got 46, and Root ran down the pitch line and was stumped, and a really good stumping by Kerry, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but as you said, they really weren't troubled by the Aussie Bowls until that point. England then fell to 7 for 210 after Stokes and Bairstow were both LBW, and Australia were sniffing a really gettable chase here, but the last three England wickets put on 63 runs, and Australia then was set 281 to win. With the bat, Australia got off to a really good start, none for 61, and then Robinson got Warner, and the sort of mini collapse started. Broad returned to the attack and got Labuschagne and Smith in quick time. Scott Bond then came out as night watchman, much to the surprise of quite a few of us, um, but he got through to stumps in Australia. Still need 174 runs with seven wickets remaining and it was a pulsating last 40 minutes as Stuart Broad got the ball. Yeah, let's start there, why don't we? Because that was probably, you know, the moment, the moment of the day, the Qantas moment of the day. Do you, you, you want me to introduce it any better than, than you're probably going to, Josh? Or uh, Let me do the official stuff. All right, do it because I can't, I can't not talk about it as the moment of the day. It is the moment of the day brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, official airline of the Australian cricket team and proudly representing Australia on the world stage, flying to more than 95 destinations around the globe. Where's Brody flying to tonight, Lou? <laughs> I'll just park that joke. I got some negative feedback about that joke yesterday, so I'll just uh, I might work on that one or, or get the research team to help me with that one. But that that spell from Stuart Broad uh, tonight was just it was electric, wasn't it? Oh, now that's he's hit that one. He's hit that one. Broad's on one again. The man they wanted, Steve Smith, has gone. It's Broad again, as it often is. This is high skill from Stuart Broad. Just the way when he came on to bowl, there was just something about it. Like he was charging in. He's not, you know, he's only 130k an hour. He's not as quick as any of the Aussie bowlers, but he just got something more out of the pitch than any of them did. The conditions didn't seem to be in his favour. It wasn't like the other night where it was cloudy and uh, and helpful for the fast bowlers. He just charged in, bent his back, stood the seam up, bowled that little wobble seam stuff. He nicked off Manus. Uh, like he did in that first innings. Very similar dismissals, weren't they? Yeah, very similar. And Manus, that's, uh, I reckon, something we're going to be seeing a lot of him uh, between these tests in terms of working on that in the nets. He's pushing too hard outside off stump. It doesn't take a batting technical expert to to realise that. And then to get Smith there as well, the two of them in the space of 13 balls, Australia's two best batters, the world's best 
uh, top ranked uh, test batters in the space of 13 balls was uh, was electric and you know he, he had the crowd on a string again it was a great atmosphere at Edgbaston. And I reckon as well, Ben Stokes also really helped him there. Uh, we saw as soon as Marnus came out, Broad was warming up, got the ball an over or two later, and then Stokes brought the field right up. Men around the bat, close in catches in front of the bat, a couple of slips. And mentally, I mean, we haven't really seen fields like that for most of the match, and it must give Broad a lot of confidence, especially with the whole crowd behind him. And Exactly right. And to create something out of nothing, out of nothing Stuart Broad made a really good point at the press conference. He said there hasn't been a slips catch the entire game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to find different ways of getting these guys out. They've still been nicks behind, and that's how we got both of those wickets caught behind to Johnny Bairstow. But you've got to create – you've got to use everything you're at your disposal, and that includes the crowd. Um, and, yeah, it was it was awesome bowling from him. We did see as well, um, as we mentioned a couple of days ago, that Stuart Broad was firing up the crowd, getting a little uh, windmill thing going with his finger, and, and Joe Root at leg slip at one point was – getting the flapping arms going with both hands above his head. That was a bizarre one, wasn't it? I think that was for Robinson after he got the wicket of David Warner for 36, yeah. his first ball to Manus Labuschagne. And you're right, it looked like, I thought it was like an eagle kind of thing, like uh, some kind of bird signal from leg slip. I don't think, so there was a real geeing up of the crowd from, it looked like the English players had kind of taken the lead from Broad, that they were trying to get uh, the Holly stand up on their feet. But that one looked like almost like, you know, bowl the eagle ball or something like that. I don't know why Root flapping his arms reminds me of an eagle. It was a positive start in the chase though by Australia. David Warner looked pretty sharp and Usman Kawaju carried on his form from the first innings. They got to done for 61 and while Warner, I'm sure, would have liked more runs, it is a positive sign considering what we've seen from him in England in the past. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he got through the battle with uh, yeah. with Broad, which is obviously a big one. He looked in excellent form. Uh, really interesting, the ball that Robinson got in with was a cross-seamer. Uh, and so uh, the kind of ball you wouldn't really expect to edge behind um, because you're not going to get any movement uh, either way. And, and Broad actually is at the press conference. He's like, you know, you know when you start the bowl cross-seamers uh, that things aren't really going your way. So that was a big wicket for him. You're seeing enough signs from David Warner to suggest that this isn't going to be like 2019, uh, you know, between here and the World Test Championship final where he made that 40 um, in the in the first inning. So, yeah, there's enough there from him. Uh, it's just whether he can you know, turn it into a really big score like Kawaja did in uh, in the first innings here. Yep. And then with 17 minutes to go, Smith went out. We saw Scott Boland walk out as night watchman. Normally, well, in years past, we might have seen Nathan Lyon stroll out, but it was Scott Boland this time. And he held up an end. He did his job in, and he didn't really give a chance. He did. And coming off uh, that first innings, I'm just having a look to see how many balls he faced. It wasn't many. It was only five before he... Uh, Broad actually got him you know, poking to to silly points. So that would have been his head. I dare say he would have been in the nets kind of thinking about, all right, they're going to bowl short, short at me. How am I going to play that differently when I've got two really intimidating guys right in front, you know, under my nose basically. So he did really well to, to face the balls that he did. Got through 19 balls. Got a few runs as well. Got a little cut shot dip there and a couple off his pads. So he did his job. Uh, and now it's all set for a cracking final day. He moves to 13, his highest score in test cricket, so hopefully Scott can keep going and smash that record. It looked like Australia might be chasing a, quite a few uh, quite a few less runs at one stage. England was 7 for 210 when Bairstow went out, and Australia was sniffing a chance. Obviously, England's tail isn't as strong as it has been in the past, but then the last three wickets put on 63 runs, and the Aussie bowls just couldn't find their rhythm at that point. 
So you can look at this two ways, Josh, I reckon. If you go back to when England were three down with Joe Root and Harry Brook at the crease, they were three for 130 or 40-odd, and you're kind of thinking this this pitch is flat. They could triple their score here. They could be, and the you know, the rate at which they scored. And I say that because Root had just, and maybe we should talk about, you know, that kind of first session from Root. It was incredible batting. Like he was, he's on another planet at the moment. He, dare I say it, he's looking like Smith in 2019 in terms of just being an absolute level above. So he saw the reverse ramp attempt first ball of the day, yep. the, the goal to try that. But then more importantly, did it to Scott Boland the next over. So the second over of the day, and he got him twice in a row. The first one went for six, the second one went for four. And little by little, he took the field from being a three slips in a gully field to one fielder in the slips court and, and it wasn't Cameron Green. So he got the, the dragon out of the gully. <laughs> he was a deep third man and he just he'd manipulated the field exactly. He'd bent the Aussies to his will. It was incredible batting. And that's why so that's why I'm kind of saying England might have underachieved a bit by mm. only getting 280 because when he runs down the wicket and tries to hit Nathan Lyon into into Broad Street they, he had Australia on toast. They had three guys back on the fence. Even if he does get that for six, he doesn't change the field anymore. They're not going to put four guys back on the leg side, I don't think. Um, I don't think there was that much to be gained from that shot. I, I wouldn't question England's tactics in this game much at all because I think it's been really forward thinking. I like how they've gone about it. The only two things I would question uh, would be the first innings declaration and that shot from from Joe Root. And it's it's hard to criticize Root because up until that point, he hadn't given a chance. He'd barely played a false shot. Uh and and then he, he goes out doing that. So you, you could look at it that way, thinking that they didn't score enough runs. You could look at it the other way and say Australia should have got the tail out for um in, in quicker time, not let him put on sixty for the last three wickets. Well, you mentioned Joe Root's dismissal. He was stumped by Alex Carey off Nathan Lyon. We should just talk about Alex Carey there because he's had a really good game, nine dismissals for the match, three stumpings, including uh, a really good one off Johnny Besto in the first innings and then this one in the second innings. I'm glad you threw that bit in at the end. But I saw you bowl. <laughs> My very first ball. Oh, yeah. He's run down and missed it. That's exactly what Australia needed and needed it badly. The wicket of Root, he's looked so good this morning. Yeah, 100%. And Nathan Lyon, let, maybe let's have a listen to him to, to see what he said about Alex Kerr at the press conference. I'm super impressed with Alex. Um, he, he's been doing the work, a lot of work behind the scenes, um, at training, always catching, willing to catch up to the stumps to, to the spinners and even even standing up the stumps to the, the faster guys as well. And, and I've got nothing but praise for Alex, to be honest with you. And... I can't sit here and talk about how hard it is because it's something that I would never be able to do is, is what the skill set that Alex has got, this, especially this um, this game. He's been um, unbelievable with the um, gloves in hand. You know, that, that praise from Nathan Lyon is, is really high because he's talked about Tim Payne being, you know, one of the best, uh, I think the best keeper he's had in his um, test career. And, you know, that's big because... Payne is the guy who came immediately before Kerry. They're big shoes to fill from from his point of view. You're you're trying to build that relationship with Nathan Lyon. The root dismissal, that was a really difficult stumping because he's Lyon's bowling around the wicket. Root blindsides him when he when he runs down the wicket. Kerry can't kind of see it the whole way. The ball spins back. It misses leg stump. So it's not one of those ones that you kind of see for a bit longer because it's on the offside. It's actually uh, you know, missed the the inside edge and gone through to the leg side. He kept his composure really well. Three stumpings in an Ashes test in England. That hasn't been done by an Australian since – It's sorry, it's never been done. 
Right. Yeah, okay. it was, was one of the stats I was looking at earlier. So um, really impressive from him, and he might have a big role to play with the bat too. He certainly will. And Nathan Lyon, he gets closer to 500 test wickets, 495 now after four in that second innings. And on the other side, Moen Alley, his finger issues continue to cause some headaches for England. Uh, he, he was taken out of the attack after a couple overs in the evening session and Joe Root bowled at one stage, but the finger injury to Moen doesn't look too good for England. England have made their bed here. Um, this is what happens when you pick a guy who just hasn't played test cricket, hasn't played first-class cricket in a really long time. You bowl 27 really high-intensity overs on day one. That's what's going to happen. Moen, uh, Nathan Lyon said that he had a lot of sympathy for, for Moen Ali at the press conference. It was you know, a nice thing for him to say because he basically said he just hasn't been prepared for this. And you got to question why he wasn't. If they did think he was the, the second-best spinner, um, why hadn't they been getting him ready for a, for an entire month beforehand? Um, like what you know, what what were they doing that whole time? Did they think that Jack Leach, you know, did they not have a contingency plan? If you look at uh, Australia, they've got Todd Murphy here as a, as their backup spinner. If anything happens to Lyon, so it would have been a slightly different text message from Ben Stokes to to Mo and Ali, right? Like Ashes question mark. But you know, maybe you not might not play the first test. Um, but you know, they needed to get uh, another spinner ready. Let's jump into the question that you posed to our listeners uh, in last night's episode about who is the best in Gully. Well, we had some interesting responses. Peter said, despite his clumsiness, Ashley Mallett was the greatest Gully fielder ever. Jim said Ashley Mallett as well. Lawrence said, don't forget about Roger Harper. And uh, Daniel said Matty Hayden. So a couple of good uh, contenders there for Cameron Green, Lou. Very good. couple there. I never saw Joel Garner really field there in the Gully bit before my time. Uh, don't Roger Harper as well. I kind of have brief memories of... That he bowled that final over the off spinner to Michael Bevan, hit him to the side screen to win that one dayer um, in nineteen ninety six. It was uh, so I can't remember what he was doing in the gully, but I'll take those guys' words for it that uh, that they were pretty good. And maybe Cameron Green needs to just do a little bit more to go past them. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, and we'll catch you all after day five. Mm-hmm.